a listener production. The first thing we need to understand, this is a numbers game. So let me give you some numbers. When I was born back in 1962, the concentration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere stood at 319 parts per million. Now, that's not a lot more than before the modern era, which had remained at about 270 parts per million for tens of thousands of years, certainly for all of the Holocene. That's the most recent epoch in the history of the planet. Somewhere around 1750 or 1760 or 1770, all of that began to change. In Britain, they dug up and burned coal to power steam engines to multiply human power tenfold and then a hundredfold and then a thousandfold. Those steam engines got better. In the early days, they exploded fairly often. And as they got better, they got cheaper and more and more things used them to do more and more work which means more and more coal got burnt to boil the water, to create the steam, to make the pressure to turn the wheels of industry. And when it was just England, well, no matter. The biggest industrial nation before 1770 wasn't in Europe. It was China. Vast factories in Guangzhou and Jingdezhen turning out millions of pieces of porcelain for export to Europe. China was the workshop of the world. For the next hundred years, Britain became the workshop of the world. Its factories in Manchester wove the textiles that made clothing cheap enough for everyone to own. Its vast midlands, they built the engines that burned the coal to boil the water, to create the steam, to make the pressure, to turn the wheels of production lines everywhere around the world. Near the end of the 19th century, the United States, vast, resource-rich, teeming with ingenuity and with a singularly pecuniary impulse, well, the United States grew bigger than the United Kingdom. And by the end of the First World War, the U.S. economy was bigger than Britain and all of the rest of its global empire. The workshop of the world became the arsenal of democracy and simply beat the Germans and the Japanese into submission by outproducing them in every single metric that mattered. Guns, bombs, aircraft, ships, tanks. By the end of that war, atmospheric carbon was measured at 310 parts per million, a 15% increase over the pre-industrial era. Nothing much to be concerned with. And 17 years later, when I appeared on the scene, that figure had only risen a little bit more to 319 parts per million. But that's pretty much the point where it begins to take off like a rocket. G'day, I'm Mark Pesci, and the coming next billion seconds, they will be the most important in human history as we make a series of decisions that shape our future and the future of our planet. In this special series, we're taking a look at the nature of the problem before us. How can we make the transition to sustainability? We're opening that question up to have a close look at some of the biggest transitions we need to work through. And we'll ask ourselves, what are the easiest ways we can make a difference? How can we get from where we are to where we need to be? Join us on this journey into sustainability on the next billion seconds. 
On the 9th of August, 2021, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, they released a report that collated pretty much all of the latest scientific understandings about climate and human activities. Climate Change 2021, the physical science basis, comes in at a whopping 3,945 pages. All of it science, all of it peer-reviewed, all of it factual, and based on the best science we have. Which is better than the science we had for the last IPCC report eight years ago. Because every time scientists take a pass at asking the big question, how are human activities changing the climate? They have a better sense of what questions to ask, what questions can be answered, and how to measure those answers meaningfully. So what started out as rough estimates at the time of the first report, that's back in 1988, well, those estimates now look a lot more accurate. They're predictions based on a lot of data. And the predictions both fit the history of the climate, and give us a very good sense of the future of the climate. And that was always the hard bit. We knew where we'd come from, but we didn't really understand where we were going. Because we didn't understand the relationship between atmospheric carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases, such as methane and nitrogen oxide, we didn't understand their relationship to climate well. Now we do. We have done the hard work. Thousands and thousands of scientists working for decades, gathering data, building models, testing them against both past data and future predictions, and we've got it. Now, it's not perfect. Nothing about the future could ever be perfect. And there are things that we still don't understand. But that said, we understand things fairly well now. There's not a lot of room for argument about the essential facts. The causal link between atmospheric carbon dioxide and climate is now established beyond all possibility of doubt. Now, that doesn't mean people won't contest this report. Of course they will. People believe what they want to believe, and no amount of fact will change what someone wants to believe. But facts are a foundation. You can build on them. And that's the point of all of this research, to give us the tools we need to be able to think and act constructively in the light of facts. That's what's different now. That's what changed on the 9th of August, 2021. We wholly entered the fact-based era of climate science. There's no going back now. But, and this is really the heart of things, what happens from here, it's entirely in our hands. Well, okay, no, let me roll that back just a little bit. The report does make a few statements that are a bit unnerving. One of them states that the oceans will continue to rise, no matter what, for at least a century, possibly a millennium. Because the planet has warmed and warm water expands, the oceans don't warm quickly and they don't cool quickly. So there's going to be a fair bit of time, and here scientists are uncertain about the timescale, when the oceans continue to expand, to rise. That's just going to happen. We can't stop it. But there's so much more here that we can do something about. The report lays out five principal scenarios. They're known as the Shared 
Socioeconomic Pathways, or SSPs. And we're probably going to be hearing a lot about these SSPs over the next few years. The first of these, SSP1, it presumes that we pretty much stop with the carbon dioxide pollution immediately. And in that scenario, the planet only warms a bit more and then begins to cool again in the second half of this century. Now, to get there, and this is the new research in the report, we would pretty much have to arrest atmospheric carbon dioxide at 450 parts per million. And here's a bit of hard news. By 2020, we had already reached 414 parts per million. And just over the 58 years of my life, we have seen atmospheric carbon dioxide grow by 95 parts per million. That is a full third more carbon dioxide in the air than when I was born. And it's growing at nearly three parts per million per year, every single year. So that means if we keep on keeping on, we'll hit 450 parts per million in 12 years, 2032, 2033. That's why this is a numbers game. And that's the important number, because that's the number that keeps climate change to a level that we can manage. It won't be great, but it won't be catastrophic. So that's the best of all possible worlds, if we can get there. In a moment, we'll take a look at the hardest numbers of all and ask what we can do to claw them back. So we've examined the first of the shared socioeconomic pathways, SSP1, where the world only warms a little bit more. But that's just one of five scenarios presented in the Climate Change 2021 report. It's the nicest. It's the easiest to endure. But it's also the hardest to achieve, at least from where we are now, from what we're doing today. In each of the scenarios, there are higher levels of atmospheric carbon dioxide and higher levels of warming. That's the big takeaway of this report. The two go hand in hand. And now we really do understand their relationship very well. Now, in the worst of these scenarios, SSP5, the planet warms by as much as 8 degrees by the end of this century. Now, here's the thing. Everyone knows that SSP5 would be a disaster. Pretty much everyone everywhere would be affected. There would be no safe harbor, no hiding place, no island far enough away, no bunker secure enough. It would mean the end of our civilization. Not the end of humanity, but certainly the end of the world as we've always known it. Now, the bit that I want to focus on here with SSP5 is that this is what happens if we continue into the future as we have to this present moment. This is business as usual. And that tells us everything about why things have to change. Because where we are now, we are driving straight into a brick wall at speed without seatbelts or airbags. No one will be walking away from that crash. And that tells you why there is so much pressure to change our ways. But that's the hard part, isn't it? That's the sticking point. That's where things get messy, where people stake out positions, where the future suddenly becomes unknowable. 
where something solid today overwhelms the promise of tomorrow. And let's be honest here, some of this is just plain greed. But that's not all of the story. Some of it is a basic human blind spot. We are really not good at understanding the long-term consequences of our actions. We find it difficult to build models for ourselves in which we constrain our behaviors today in favor of a far-off future. And this is why so many nations have mandatory contribution retirement schemes, because human blind spots require society-wide institutional responses. We need one another and our network of laws to save us from ourselves. That's the way civilization works. And if civilization fails in that, well, civilization fails. And no one wants that. Even the folks who may be acting out of greed, they're being short-sighted, sure. But they want to live in a world where their wealth has value. That's a civilized world. So, yes, we need to save ourselves from ourselves. Even the folks who refuse to be saved. Because this isn't us versus them. This isn't us versus the planet. This is all for one and one for all. But again, that makes it hard because agreement is hard. Consensus is hard. It's provisional. It's not a one-off. It takes long-term, continuous effort. It's exhausting. And I guarantee you that we will all get sick of doing the right thing, just as we all got sick of doing the right thing during the pandemic, because no one likes to leave inside someone else's limits. Let's just all admit that but we're all in this together. So it makes sense for us to work together to find our way through to the best of all possible worlds, which in this case means SSP1, a world of modest warming, a world that tops out at 450 parts per million of atmospheric carbon dioxide. That gives us a really interesting time frame to work within, about 300 million seconds. And in that 300 million seconds, what do we need to do? Well, we need to flatten the curve. Yep, that's right. Just as we learned during the pandemic, we need to remember that all of us can do things every day to decrease the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And the more we do that, the better we get at this, the longer we go until we hit 450 parts per million. We buy ourselves time. And in that time, we work as hard as we can to buy ourselves more time. That's hard, but it's not impossible. It's not impossibly hard. This is all doable. I don't do powerlessness. And I wouldn't be doing this series if I didn't think we could find our way through this. We can and we will. To do that, we need to think clearly and methodically, which is why the following episodes in this series will take one major contributor to atmospheric carbon dioxide and ask what we can do about it today and tomorrow. How do we flatten the curve in our daily activities? And what can we do to keep that curve flat for as long as we can? So we're going to look at transport. 
We're going to look at energy generation and storage. We're going to look at agriculture and we're going to look at the electrification of everything because these look like the most promising paths forward, not just in 2021, but in 2032 and 2050 and 2080 and beyond. These are the paving stones on the path to SSP1 because that's the road we want to be on. So let's get going. In our next episode, I'll sit down with my Transport Brains Trust, co-host Sally Dominguez and special correspondent Drew Smith, to look at the rapid electrification of automobiles and aircraft. And we'll ask if that's enough. That's our next episode. The Next Billion Seconds was written and presented by Mark Pesci, producer Alex Mitchell, and sound production by Darcy Thompson. If you like this show, hit the subscribe button. And if you know someone who might like it too, please share it with them. For more about the topics on the show and a link to download the new IPCC 2021 report on climate change, visit our website at nextbillionseconds.com. This is Mark Pesci, thanking you for listening. Listener.